Hello, welcome to another episode of the Week's High Podcast. Phil here, I think we're up to episode 19 now. And because me and Naeem had such a good chat last week, geeking out about Jordan stuff, we thought we'll do it again. So, welcome back, Naeem. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Phil. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Looking forward to another nerdy geek out. That's fair enough. Have you had a good week um, in lockdown England? Yeah, I've done so much. Um, I've slept, uh, I've eaten, and I've uh, lied down on my couch. That sounds really like the most that you can possibly do. And yeah. I hope that you've got no international travel um, sorted because obviously <laughs> we're now going to effectively shut our borders to the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we've got we've got nothing better really to do apart from talk yeah. about things that happened twenty five years ago. Exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we thought we'd get together again with. Um, if you haven't listened to it, episode 17 of the Week's Side podcast, uh, Naeem, was, it was his introduction to the world of podcasts, and we discussed Michael Jordan's return to the NBA back in 95, and kind of what we thought about that season, and the playoffs, and the summer that <coughs> happened uh, leading into the 95-96 season, which is what we're going to talk about today. So, the, the basis of today, so that... You know, as you know, what we're going to do, it's got, we're going to talk about the season, we're going to talk about the playoffs, we're going to talk about the finals that year, and we're going to have a little bit of a chat about super teams, which is probably pretty relevant given the fact that the NBA now has another super team. So we, we'll leave that till a little bit later in the podcast. So to jump straight in, name I again, I've got a couple of questions. I always like to, you know, let, let's ease it. What was, or what is now, your favourite Chicago Bulls uniform? Oh man, good question. Um, I know they've had some real bangers, some classics, uh, even back then in the the mid-90s. I have to say, my favourite is still the classic uh, Road Red. The Road Red. Yeah, you just can't beat that. I think it looks so good with every... The Jordans looks good with the red, uh, and it's such a classic, iconic look. I think you can't go wrong with that. And, and just so I'm clear, when we say road red, we talk, we're not talking about the one that Jordan wore in his rookie season with the Chicago script right on it. This... Yeah, that, no, no, no. That, that was a classic too. That was a real, real beautiful uniform. But the, uh, the, the capital block balls left during the classic one, which they were so strongly associated with in the championship years. That's the one for me. Right then, fair enough. Oh, this might be a, a, like a dumb question, but if you had the choice in a shop and you could pick between the Orlando Magic blue pinstripe jersey or the Chicago Bulls black pinstripe jersey, which one are you picking? Oh man, you are killing me. Um, wow. You know what? I think I might go Orlando because mm. I, I do love that. I think the Magic had the best pinstripes by far. Um, the Bulls, the Bulls classic. I mean, a couple of my friends back in school in that year had that Bulls pinstripe. But I'll, I'll go with um, I'll go with the penny blue magic jersey. Yeah, good choice. I mean, as I say, I I, I I'm not going to take anything away from Shaq, but if you're going to have yeah. an Orlando magic jersey, I think you've got to go penny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and last question. Seeing as we're talking about the '96 season, obviously Jordan wore the famed Jordan 11s during that season. Favorite Jordan 11. You've got a choice of four. He wore that season. You can go with the Concord. You can go with the playoffs. You can go with the playoff lows, or you can go mm. with the Columbia's that he wore in the All Star game. Which one are you picking? Ooh, well, I've been lucky to own a pair of Columbia's uh, a couple of years ago off eBay. 
I then sold them because they were bricks. They were so heavy. I couldn't wear them. Fair enough. <laughs> They're beautiful, beautiful, but not to play in. Uh, I think it's going to be the um, playoff lows that have not been fully properly retro to this day. Uh-huh. Um, I had the I had the ones that came out, uh, the IEs with the elephant print trim, which were not, not proper OG, but they came out and I got them. I had them for about 12 years. I've actually still got them now. They were lovely, really good to play in. So I think the low, the playoff low is my favourite. So good news is that of 2021, those playoff lows are going to be retro. Yes. So, and of course, as I'm reading a lot at the moment, a lot, you mentioned it there. A lot of people talk about the IE, but the IE yeah. was not included on the playoff lows that he actually wore in '96. So right. keep your eye out, mate. Um, as I know that the Carmines, the Carmine Sixes, are coming out next month, which I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to. But I just think that given the state of buying uh, kicks in the, in this country I'm just expecting to take another loss yeah. <laughs> on, on whichever app I choose to use to, to try and buy them through so right so we've got it so favourite balls you need is the red mine actually is the black pinstripe yeah. um, I always liked the Orlando one and then when the Bulls did one it was like oh my god so yeah that, that that's the one I'm going to go with so that obviously gives you an answer for the next question although I am a very big fan of those um, Orlando blue ones and the black ones but the blue ones probably a little yeah. bit more uh, my favourite jersey of all time actually though is the Vancouver Grizzlies no it's not is it the cartoon it one yep T- the t- I'm gonna have to leave this podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the the teal um, Vancouver <laughs> Grizzlies one. It's I don't I, I can't explain it any more than that. I just love it. Just, just, just do so. So that's that. And if I was picking one of those, I would pick the um, the 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 high playoffs, the the black and red ones, the um, yeah. the the yeah. ones that he wore for the majority of the games. That's what I'd have. So. Yeah. <laughs> So now we've done a bit of mindless banter about you know what, what we prefer. Let's jump into that 95, 96, mm-hmm. um, 72 and 10 uh, Chicago Bulls season. Still, and you can obviously disagree with me, uh, are we both agreed that that is the greatest single season by any NBA team ever? Oh, it has to be because they won the chip. That seals it, you know. Um, even if a team wins 75 games, if they don't win the, the ring at the end of it, that counts for almost nothing to me. And to a lot of people as well that you'll speak to, including players, it seems, the record is one thing, but you have to win the title to complete that. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the, no offence to Golden State Warrior fans who might be listening to this podcast. But yeah, it's it, 73 and 9 was no mean feat. The way they started that season yeah. was unbelievable. True. But kind of like the Bulls said back in 96, 72 and 10 doesn't mean a thing if you don't win the ring. That's uh, right. It's, yeah. uh, it, it, it kind of goes with uh, without saying that that counts for 73 and 9 as well. So, greatest team ever, in, in my opinion, yours as well. So, just give me some thoughts about what you thought 95, 96 season as it started, as it unfolded. What, what were your thoughts? The one thing that I remember, um, thinking back to the coverage of at the time, including the magazines, the, the papers, uh, the, the Channel 4 coverage, was the Bulls then, when they when they got off to that incredible start and they were clearly on a historic pace, they were, they were effectively the uncrowned champions. People looked at them as the champions already. 
even though it's easy to overlook the fact that the Rockets were the defending two-time champions. That season, was it was such a focus on the Bulls that you forget that they hadn't won anything in three years. They was they had a lot to prove still when, it, when the time came in the playoffs. So I remember there was such a... They're going to they're gonna dominate everybody. That it's easy to forget that and a lot of legit challenges to get there before they were the champions. So I remember thinking at the time that I was happy, obviously, being a kid that was a Jordan fan, a uh, Bulls fan. I was rubbing it in my friends' faces. It was like the Knicks, the Magic. I was like, oh, we're, we're, we're 42 and 3. We're kicking everyone's ass. This is going to be incredible. So I was loving it as a 14, 15-year-old kid. And then um, they got to the All-Star break and I think they were 39 and 3 or something, or maybe 41 and 3. might be able to correct me on that, but... I was just staggered at the pace and the way they won, the dominance they showed, the the win, uh, the victory margin per game, which was I think eleven or twelve points per game. Um, I didn't seen anything yeah. like it. Yeah, I, I understand. A lot of the games that I probably will talk about with you now are games that I've seen since then, because I know we said in the yeah. last podcast actually getting to see games back in nineteen ninety six in the UK was <laughs> troublesome to say. Yeah the least yeah but we've been fortunate with the fact that you know you've got youtube you've got Mm. various other media outlets that you can go to that i've been able to watch quite a few of uh of those games since but yeah the media coverage at the time just to pretty much concur with what you're saying was this team is just on an unbelievable pace you're right i think they got to like 39 and 3 or or 41 and 3. They lost a couple of games back to back, which was. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think one was against the Suns and one was against the Nuggets, yeah. but they went into like the All Star break having only lost five games yeah. out of 50 played or something. And that, yeah. that was just phenomenal. And then in our country, um, the UK, it was at the All Star break that season that our coverage of the NBA kicked in so our our, our channel 4 on our terrestrial um, TV then started showing from the All-Star game onwards would show games and highlight clips um, each week so we were actually able to see fully what was going on well it's not fully but you know to get a really really good picture whereas before you're just getting by on the little bits that you can find Yeah. so the Having gone back, and I know that you're the same as me, you have now watched games back since then. Have you got, can you give me a top three regular season games from that season that if someone's tuning into this podcast and doesn't know what we're talking about, um, that they, you would say, go on YouTube and go and find these three games and go and watch them? Yeah. Okay. Good question. Well, I would say um, one of the games would be the Pacers game where Pippen and Jordan both had 40-plus. I've seen the whole game. It's, it's incredible. Like that's the, that's the two superstars at their best. That's Robin. I think he had 21 rebounds, I think. Um, 23, mate. I've only watched this game in the last two weeks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 23 rebounds. The Pacers that year were strong. I know they didn't succeed in the playoffs, but they had a very good, very, very physical, strong, big team. Both teams played really well. It was a great, it was a playoff type matchup in the regular season, which you often get as anybody knows. That's probably the one of the best games that year. Um, I would also say the final meeting between the Bulls and the Magic in the season at Orlando when the Bulls yep. won uh, ninety to eighty six, I think it was. 
Um, but go, again, I watched that all the way through. Really entertaining game. You can see there's much more of an edge because they know they're going to meet in the playoffs. Um, for the third one, probably oh, a tough one. I'm trying to think which one I've seen recently. I've seen a number of games recently. Um, maybe the first, uh, in fact, probably the season opener when obviously Jordan came out and had 42. Because um, you can see the team was all fired up. They couldn't wait to get going. They were like, we've got this this new fresh note. We've got the new player, Rodman. Jordan's ready to, to put on a show because he's desperate to get back to his best. And that game, when I watched it, I was quite taken at just the the energy level in the, in the arena and how well the Bulls executed, which is one of the main points of which we'll talk about as well, I hope. Yeah, I mean, I, well I've got played. two out of, the, out of the three you picked, two are... The same as I've got written down in front of me. Um, I, I'd actually forgotten until I watched it back in that Hornets game from the start of the season that Scotty Pippen didn't actually play. Oh, you're right, yeah. He, um, I, I watched it, oh, it fairly recently, and I'd totally forgotten that Pippen didn't play in that opener. And yeah, yeah, they still kind of sent that message. Jordan came out with 42, as you said, and the, I remember feeling and reading about it at the yeah. time and thinking yeah this could really happen he could yeah. like to come out opening night put 42 on the Hornets without Pippin yeah that's <laughs> that's that's a statement to to, to put I don't also got that pace of the game because as yeah. as a threesome they they just had an, an amazing performance Jordan, yeah. Jordan had 44 Pippin had 40 Rodman had 23 rebounds the rest of the team were clicking as well it yep. just was a fun game to watch. The the other one I've got on here is just because I'm an out and out Michael Jordan fan was the game against the Sixers in January of '96. He hung 48 on them, I think, in three quarters. And yeah. it was the real kind of Mike going against someone who was classed as being the next Michael Jordan and mm-hmm. just putting a show on for Jerry Stackhouse just to be able to show yeah mate you, you might yeah you might have been to North Carolina you might have a bald head all this kind of stuff but yeah. like, there's only one of me so yeah, so, yeah I, with that game as well I'm glad you mentioned it because I, it was in my head I was given my three but what I liked about that game is that Jordan guarded Stackhouse a fair bit in that game as well he played them one on one which you don't often see with the superstars facing up to each other because you're worried about foul trouble and having to expend energy on the defensive end. I get that. But he guarded Stackhouse a number of times. I think Harper, between him, Harper and Pippen, they probably all switched at some point. I think Stackhouse had like 21. He didn't have a terrible game, but Mike had 48 and he just gave him the absolute business. He could have had an easy 63, 64 points that game without a sweat. I, I think so. Yeah, he still have left him in for the fourth then yeah. easily. But as you were saying, and I think a point that we're probably going to move on to, and, and you've just mentioned that the ease of that season was the fact that when you go on to, I, I use personally um, basketballreference.com. Yeah, same. Um, quite a lot. And as I was looking at some stuff ahead of this podcast, looking down the, the results from that season and just seeing how many of them not only were du- double digit wins we're talking like games that they were winning by 20 plus yeah it was it was almost like it was a cakewalk for them yeah it, it, it looks like on paper that's how it looks isn't it and it's easy to 
assume that they were loaded. I know we're going to speak about this at the end of the podcast. It's easy to think, oh, well, they obviously had the best team. It was it was unfair. The NBA was weak back then. But you and I both know that there were some solid teams, some seriously strong contenders. Uh, I mean, in the in the East and the West. But but the Bulls, I think, just executed so well. They they, they just played their game so perfectly. I think their losses were by easily a point, a two point, maybe three or four points, mm. uh, except for the Knicks, the Knicks blowout game, of course. <laughs> I remember that yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, me too. I couldn't be ice human. But, um, and uh, I think every time they played a team that had beaten them before, they beat that team by double digits. They just smashed them. So it's just the way they played that year, it was the execution was so, so incredible to watch, and their defense was hellacious. It was just horrific to see. See, do you think, uh, I remember at the time a lot of people saying it, and people have said it since when we're talking about the greatest team in history. Some people tried to put some weight behind the argument that the NBA that season had just expanded. They'd just brought in the Raptors and the Grizzlies and they'd gone from 27 teams to 29 teams. And and they reckon that that had diluted the league a little bit and therefore the Bulls had a bit of an easier time of it. Do Do you think that there's any weight behind some people saying that? Uh, I mean, you have to consider the fact that expansion does normally dilute the talent pool to a degree because you're pulling players away from other teams to build these new teams. I mean, it happened in 89 with Minnesota, I think, or, or Orlando. Yeah. Um, so you have you have 29 teams at a time. But then you look at what I'm going to do now. I'm going to pull up some um, just some numbers if I can quickly. Of course, I'll pass reference. But looking at the other teams in the league at that time, um, so I'm looking at Orlando who won 62 games um, I'm looking at the Knicks who won 47 I think um, let me just get on to basketball reference so um, here we are so obviously I don't think the, the league was diluted a huge amount to at least have a negative uh, effect on the Bulls to the point where it was easy for them you're looking at in the east, uh, so you had um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So ten teams above 500 or at 500. That's pretty decent. You had one, two. So you only had three 51 teams in the east. In the west, you had one, two, three, four 51 teams. Uh, you had obviously the Pacers won 52 games. The, the Sonics won 64. Spurs won 59. Utah won 55. So there were some solid, really, really strong teams. Um, and in fact, you could say that expansion didn't hurt them too much. <laughs> yeah, they did. beat the Bulls that year by a point. That, Neither could I. That. <laughs> I can believe it. <laughs> with Mike hitting that. Yeah, yeah, with Jordan hitting that bank shot that didn't count because just they were too late. Um, so I mean, I, I see what people are saying when they when they want to look for reasons to to maybe disparage the Bulls' success because it's when you look back, you, you don't really if you, if you didn't live through it. You don't really appreciate how great teams were. The same as we didn't live through the Will Chamberlain era. So we don't really know how good he was because we don't have a lot of information or a lot of footage. So we don't quite have that perspective. I think the fact that we've lived through it and we can see the NBA now, we can make those comparisons. Uh, we remember how strong the league was back then, even with the two new teams. So I, I don't put any weight behind the fact that there were two expansion teams in there. I, I understand that, yeah, I suppose there's two new teams that might not have the best talent level because effectively you're making a team up from a top draft pick and players that have been discarded effectively by other teams. I remember the thing that I've been 
remember yeah. being most surprised by was the fact that the Bulls actually left BJ Armstrong unprotected in the expansion draft and he ended up getting picked up by the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was, and I was upset because it was, was one of the guys. Guard. It turned out to be a blessing in disguise because by BJ going across to the Raptors, I don't yeah. know if he actually played for them. I think he ended up complaining about it and ended up on the Warriors that season. But yeah. the it meant that's that right, Ron right, Harper had yeah. come off the, across the season before and hadn't really gelled in the ball system, was then installed yeah. as... Yeah. I know we say the point guard. He's at the point guard position. He was never going to be De facto performing the traditional duties of a point guard. But it also meant that putting yeah. Ron Harper and Michael Jordan as the guards together, and the fact that Ron Harper was yeah. a pretty good defender, meant that other teams automatically yeah. were going to have like let's let's just use the three point line as a, as an example. But you've got probably Rodman and, and Longley defending the paint, and then out towards the perimeter, you've got Ron Harper, Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan. Which for any other team must yeah. have been there going, oh, you know, how how on earth are we meant to 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 penetrate against this team? I, I, I'm not really. <laughs> I'm not really sure. So, but yeah. going back to the original point, I I don't really put any weight behind it, and the fact that the numbers that you've just mentioned there, you'd still got plenty of other teams in the league that were performing above fifty uh, fifty wins that season, and I remember really well the um, the fact that the Magic were at one point kind of going toe to toe to toe with them. It wasn't. It, it fell away, obviously, as the yeah. season went on. But there was still... I remember the one stat at the time. They were talking about consecutive home wins. And the Bulls got up to... I think they right. they've got yeah. snapped and they got to something like 39 home wins. But the Magic were going at a pace with them. I think that they that their win run went into the 30s. They lost a home game at some point just before the Bulls did. And then the Bulls just got a, a few more. But I remember the Magic being a really, really strong team. And a lot of people were thinking, you know, the Bulls are setting a, a record for the regular season. But when we get to the playoffs, this Magic team isn't going to be something to be just dismissed and, and you're just going to roll right over them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Orlando that year set a franchise record with 60 wins. They were improving year by year when Shaq joined and then when Penny came along. So they were still on the uh, on the uptake as a team, despite being swept in the finals the previous year. They were they were a number of teams that were legitimate threats to the Bulls, despite the Bulls' dominance. You're looking at, uh, obviously, the Knicks are always going to give the Bulls problems because the Knicks. Um, Utah, always strong. The Rockets clearly were a team that were that the Bulls didn't match up well with, with they had nobody to guard Hakeem, even, even Dennis. Uh, and then you had the Orlando, who were the main rivals, and that was a serious threat. I mean, the Bulls, uh, like I said before, people were crowning them the un, uh, champs before they won it, but it wasn't a given because the East was, was still tough that year. Even teams like Miami, who had beaten the Bulls in the season, they were a difficult matchup. So it wasn't necessarily, despite the Bulls' dominance, that it wasn't clearly wasn't going to be a breeze when it came to the playoffs uh, and still Jordan had those doubts to answer could he raise his game like he always had he still had the ghost of the previous year's playoff game did indeed so just before we move on to talking about the playoffs and properly you, you, as I say you mentioned a little bit before just about how fresh 
and the conditioning of the team. So, should we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, that in the way that I, I remember reading, I've, I've read several books uh, about that that Bulls team, and one of them by Phil Jackson, which was written in, uh, I forget, it was 2001. I think it was, it's called More Than a Game, um, and he wrote it in 2001. And he talks about the that that preseason for the Bulls and that off season was was hellacious. Like the team, by the time the, the team came out for that first game of the season, they were all in such good shape, despite a couple of injuries like with Pippen. But in terms of their conditioning, um, their their complete belief and trust in the triangle offense and the way they executed it was on another level. And you could see the way they played that year, especially when you compare it to games from the previous season. It's a, t- it's a different team, completely. And all they did was they added Dennis Rodman and they, they released BJ. So you, you, you're not talking about an overhaul of the roster or the style. You're talking about adding one guy, releasing one guy, but the difference in style of play and confidence and assurance and that the way they played the game, the way they executed, was just on a completely different level the following season compared to yeah, um, the, the the glaring thing, and we mentioned this in um, in the last podcast that we did together, was just the fact that they didn't have that defensive rebounding presence that had gone when Horace Grant yeah. left yeah. Um, in free agency. So getting Dennis Rodman for yeah. for Will Perdue, that was it. The trade was Will Perdue for Dennis Rodman, <laughs> and yeah. I know that the Spurs had their reasons at the yeah. time. For, for doing that trade, but when you think about it in hindsight, it was it, it's almost laughable now. But when you, you mentioned about the yeah. condition, we know that Jordan had gone to do a Space Jam and had the Jordan Dome set up for him, and was quite literally yeah. either working or refining his game um, when when he was there. Yeah, the, yeah. the only injuries that I really remember during the season, like you also mentioned, was Pippin missed uh, a stretch of games in, in, in the March of that year because um, he got, I think, nagging like lower back right. and, and some knee problems, which which also yeah. coincided with yeah, Dennis Rodman really... deciding that he wanted to make head contact with the referee. <laughs> so... <laughs> So there was yeah, a, a, little, a, a little stretch, I think, of about five or six games where Mike was kind of manning it all by himself. But they still won. I think I think it was seven yeah. games in all, and they, and they still won six of them. So, um, and that probably just speaks to how yeah, well right. conditioned Mike was going into that season after um, the, the disappointment. Uh, without a doubt, in my opinion, the '95 playoffs was possibly the best thing that could have happened to to them. I think that Bill Wennington said it on the last dance as well, yeah. that it was, it, 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 it seems weird to say it, kind of, if it was at the time, but now in hindsight, them facing the Magic in the 95 playoffs and getting the the result that they did, without a doubt, fueled yeah. that team, especially going into that 96 season and probably beyond. Yeah, yeah, carried them on. Absolutely. And I want to make a, a brief point about, um, you mentioned the Rodman for Purdue trade. I think it's really important that people realise that Dennis Rodman at that time, A, was not a superstar. Um, he was looked at 
at that point in his career, despite his numbers still being good and him still being clearly one of the best rebounders, he was looked at more of a liability than an option mm-hmm. than a, uh, a plus for a team. He'd um, he'd been suspended in the playoffs with the, with the Spurs. He was basically so, he was such a pain that, like you say, they're willing to accept Will Perdue for Dennis Robin. That's it. Nothing else. Just that's a straight trade. Because he was just, he was looked at as being either washed up or too much of a liability, too much of a distraction, and he would just cause a team to implode. And of course, that year, that ninety five ninety six yeah. season, uh, that's when he became a superstar. At, at that point, it wasn't like he was an A an A an A list superstar being drafted by the team to come and help Jordan win in the ring. He was he was a role player, an elite role player, but he was never more than I, a role player. I've got some thoughts that. on that. I think I'm going to probably save my thoughts until we talk about super teams. But yes, I, I take on board what you're saying yeah. and I will we'll come back to that when we when we get to the super team talk. So we're gonna take a quick break. We're we'll be back and when we do come back, we're going to talk about that 96 playoff run. So um, we'll see you in part two. So section two, we're going to talk about the playoff run. So I hope a little bit like the Bulls might have done preparing for the stretch. You went and had a break. You got yourself a drink, and now Naeem and I are going to talk about that 96 playoff uh, run that resulted in the NBA championship. So, what are your thoughts off the bat about the playoffs in 1996? Well, my first thought is I just need to cough briefly, so excuse me. <coughs> okay. Um, so, the playoffs. You can't plan for stuff like that, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. They, they just happen. It just shows that the podcast's authentic. We have to cough. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so the playoffs underway. Um, first things first, the Black Sox came out first time. Jordan's idea. Uh, they obviously weren't the first team to do it. The the uh, Fab Five in 93, the Michigan team had done it. So, Jordan decided Black Sox, new start. Came out with the Black Sox with the Black Shoes. Uh, faced Miami in the first round, which had obviously beaten them once in the season. And were kind of looking to make themselves the new physical bad bad boys team of the NBA. Uh, Pat Riley obviously coaching them. Um, three game sweep. The, the Miami didn't really have anything to offer them. I looked at the stats and <laughs> the margin of victory was 20 plus per game. Uh, they really couldn't present the balls with much of a challenge. Uh, Jordan, interestingly, uh, he hurt his back in game one or game two, was it? I believe. Game, had game two. He had an amazing yeah. first half in game two. I think he got something like 29 by half time, yeah. but he tweaked his back. And I, I don't think he played in the second half. Yeah, yeah, it was limited minutes. So he was he was hindered uh, for game three, but they obviously swept him, uh, moved on. And then uh, the game, the, the series I was looking forward to in the second round with the. Uh, against the Knicks, the, the old rivals, and I couldn't wait for that series. Uh, what do you remember about that series? See, just to take it back to what you said at the start, I remember them coming out for game one and seeing the highlights of it and noticing those black socks and thinking, yes. <laughs> yes. I absolutely I absolutely loved it. I, at the time, I was wearing black socks, black shoes, black socks, for nice. all of my basketball games. So when yeah. my favourite team player at the time was was doing it then it, i just felt vindicated i felt like yes <laughs> i am a yeah. fashion pioneer the reason i started doing it actually was the number of times i'd watched three p 
back, you know, over the previous couple of years. And I'd noticed in one of the practice sessions that Mike was wearing his um, Air Jordan 8 with a pair of black socks. And I was there going, yep, I, I like that. And that's what I'm going to do. So, yeah, I was, I was a big fan of, of those black socks. Um, the Miami series, like you said, it was a bit of an annihilation. I wonder mm. if Miami had had a full season with the team that they ended up going into the playoffs with yeah. whether they would have posed more of a threat because they made quite a big trade at the trade deadline that year that got them like yeah. Timmy Hardaway and, and a couple of others but then yeah. I made that point and I think forward to what happened in the 97 playoffs and, and I was just going to say that <laughs> and, and and probably not so yeah. so yeah it was it was a, a pretty easy series. The only thing that was a real concern, like you said, was um, Jordan injured his back in game two, which <laughs> limited, we say limited, you know, it limited him in game three. And yet I remember watching at the time because it was one of the games that was shown uh, live, I think on a program called Under the Moon. I remember that. Oh my, that brings back memories. Yeah, oh, there was. There was a program on again on Channel Four, but it was called Under yeah. the Moon, and they would have a an NBA game on most weeks, and they showed the full game three versus the Heat. I remember Jordan going baseline for like a, a lovely two-handed dunk. I remember he like having this one of those shots that only Mike could do, where he gets into the lane and someone like kind of tangles him up but he still manages to flip the ball over his head with the back to the basket and he, yeah. you know he's still got that the only thing that seemed to be different was that every time he did something like that he grimaced because his back yeah. was hurting um, so now it's a big deal every time oh he's grimacing he's grimacing oh he's in pain yes <laughs> Danny Ainge I remember Danny Ainge being on the broadcasting team for that and kept on pointing out like oh he looks good but look oh he's grimacing obviously he's hurting and yeah. <laughs> I remember being concerned because they were making a deal about his back hurting and even though we, we you knew by that point that Michael Jordan did not succumb to injury if there was something happening even something that would make most people have a month off he would not miss a game and but I remember yeah. thinking he's got to go and play the Knicks and the Knicks yeah. are the Knicks even though they've got they haven't got Pat Riley anymore. They've got that, by that yeah. point they've got Jeff Van Gundy, but Jeff Van Gundy was a disciple of Pat Riley. So therefore, yeah. you knew that the the style of play and what, how he was going to tell the team to go out and, and face the balls was going to be d them up hard, no easy baskets, and try and punish them. And I just remember thinking at that time that you know how's this back going to affect his performance and then he comes out in game one and drops 44 on them <laughs> yeah. yeah with the occasional grimace once again yeah, yeah I mean, what, a, what a start and it's funny because that Knicks team you know they were older they weren't the ferocious team that they were in 92 and 93 they just pounded the life out of teams obviously the league had cracked down some on the physical contacts um, they you know, hand checking yeah they're taking yeah hand checking away and there was a bit more, you weren't going to get quite the hard fouls. You were still going to get, you know, touched up in the lane if you went down there. But what I noticed about that, the, the games in that series, and again, I've been able to watch them in full, is that somehow Jordan, he, he rarely got touched in that series. He, he glided through the games. And I know that 
part of the reason for that was he did sports a bit more uh, wisely, he wasn't practicing like he did when he was younger. Uh, Mid-range game, threes, fadeaways, so he avoided a lot of that uh, grinding, kind of, um, avoided a lot of that physical punishment that he used to receive, but he was just, again, he made this. Like you're talking the Knicks, uh, the team that year, were they top five defense? I forget, you might be able to know. But they were one of the better defensive teams. I think always have. The Knicks were a bit weird that season. They'd uh, Pat Riley had obviously gone to the the Heat, and then they started off the season with Don Nelson in uh, charge. Right, now Don Nelson, for anybody that hasn't heard that name, but most basketball fans will, was famous for being with the Warriors and having a very free-flowing running yeah. offense didn't really care that much about defense and that yeah. didn't sit well with the Knicks and the New York yeah. faithful and the results didn't come either so by the time they got to roughly the all-star break maybe a little bit afterwards he was gone and then that's when Jeff Van Gundy came in so their results almost if you look back at their stats for that season they're a little bit skewered because of having Don Nelson in charge for half the season. Yeah. I think if they'd have had the whole season with Jeff Van Gundy um, helming it, then they probably would have been, yeah, definitely a top five defensive team. Yeah, no, that would have been a 50-plus win team, I think, that next team. Because um, they still had the same core. They were older, but they had the same core. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I remember it was a really good example. Like, we talked about our previous podcast about the, the change in style of Jordan's play and that he was looking for the most efficient way to score, saving his legs, not taking the ball to the hoop every time. He still would on occasion, but you can see that he wasn't taking that kind of physical punishment as much compared to the younger days when they would just go right at him and knock him out of the air onto the floor. Uh, he had the big game one, like you said, 44 points. Um, game two, pretty solid. The Knicks went up, the Bulls went up 2 nothing, And um, the Knicks, you can see, they just didn't have the offensive firepower. Uh, I think they, they scored, what, 80 and 81 points or 84 and 80 points in the first two games. Something like yeah. that. And then, of course, you get to game three, which is probably the best Jordan game of the season, ironically. It is. It was an overtime defeat. They, they definitely, as I say, game three for me was... It was well. It was Jordan's best game of the season it, series. It was probably the most competitive game of of the series. But yeah, it soured a little bit as Jordan fans by the fact that he, he scored forty six, and yet they they came out on on the losing end of it. The um, to that point, I remember thinking at, does, by the time does every game possible, you hit that ridiculous fadeaway through. Yeah, clutch, clutch shot. <laughs> Absolutely clutch. What you expect from him, and and I remember at that point, even though they'd lost and it was two one, yeah. I remember thinking that his back wasn't anything to be worried about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that yeah. first and foremost. And even though the Knicks had, had halved the series lead, I I really thought, yeah, the Bulls have just got this. Yeah, yeah. The, the Knicks have kind of thrown their best punch at them. Yeah, yeah they've got a win but I just can't see the Bulls losing. And and that's kind of what transpired. Yeah. Then game four, Bulls went into Madison Square Garden and won. And then game five, I, I'll always remember the little wave to Spike Lee. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. On, the, on, the, on the sideline. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> I mean, Mike, Mike and Spike have always been close friends. But yeah. yeah, that little wave as if to say, yeah, mate, no chance. It's over. <laughs> so it's over. 
and then uh, yeah, Nick's out of the way, and then on to the big one. Um, you know, the biggest uh, personal motivation for Jordan was the, the rematch with Orlando. Now they they got it in the, in the conference finals, so one you know one higher rung than the previous season. And I remember uh, being really really nervous before that because obviously this is the team that had really uh, really pounded the Bulls the previous year and, and beat them clearly. And Jordan did not play that well as we said before. And I recall I had a I had a nightmare about the series before game one. I remember I had a really bad dream that <laughs> that I'd already watched the game and Jordan had had like 36 points and the Bulls had lost by like 40 points. They just got completely whacked. And I can still see in my head now the dream I was looking down like an overhead camera at the court and Jordan was just doing this thing. And the Magic were letting him score because they had the Bulls being beaten so badly. He was just getting his points and they were just letting him score. And the next day <laughs> I went to school and like uh, I didn't have time to look at the scores before I went to school. I went to my mate and I was like, I was like, Fletch, Fletch, what happened? Game one. He was like, oh, mate, the Bulls killed them. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, such a relief. I was like, yeah, they matched by 38 points. I was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I, I think disclaimer. You, we have to give a disclaimer on this. Yeah. Horace Grant got injured in the, the third quarter of game one and That's- didn't play for the rest of the series. That is, and yep. part of me wishes that he had. Be, yeah. Well, not even part of me. I wish that he had because when yeah. you're playing basketball or when you're watching basketball as a fan, you don't want either team to be at, a, at an unfair advantage. You well, want both right. teams to be at full strength. Yeah. I say that as a disclaimer. I don't think for one second it would have affected the outcome of that series. No. I think that Horace Grant being there might have led to them winning a game. Yeah. Possibly two at most, but probably not even that. I still think the Bulls would have won 4-1, yeah. uh, possibly 4-2. But we, I agree. you do have to mention that, obviously, the Bulls had gone and, and restructured themselves in the summer of 95 and brought in Dennis Rodman because they knew that they missed Horace Grant so yeah, much. Exactly. And yet, in Game 1 of that series, Horace Grant hurt his elbow and, and didn't play for the rest of the series. Yeah, it's a real, um, it's a real shame. But, it, it, but then it just went to, to form after that you're right 38 points um, margin of victory in game one mm-hmm. and then game two was probably the one that killed the Magic because yeah. they were up by I think it was 18 points at half time right. and if people go back and watch the the NBA kind of it, I say NBA issued, but the NBA at that point were doing a championship like VHS at the time. But if you go back and watch that, apparently Phil Jackson went into the to the locker room at halftime down 18 and said, "Yeah, we've gone right where we want." (laughs) Yeah, classic. And and sure enough, they came out in the second half of that game, Mm -hmm. absolutely clamped down. It was on D. Yeah, it was incredible. And that was it. Just their their defense was just the difference. They they pulled it all back, and they they ended up winning that one. Well, I've got the result in front of me: ninety three eighty eight. So they ended up winning by by five. And as far as I'm concerned, that was that that was the backbreaker. I think the magic. They were down Horace Grant at that point. They've gone into Chicago and been up by such a great margin at halftime, mm-hmm. and then still lost. Yeah, yeah. And and game three was a, another blowout. God, game three. I mean, I, I saw that was one game I had on tape. I've still got it somewhere on a VHS somewhere in my mum and dad's house. There's a VHS tape with game three 
Telecom channel. For all you new listeners that don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> before there were DVDs and before there was streaming, then there were these boxy type things that you had to put in on a tape and, yeah. and put them into play. And they were notoriously great when they f- we first had them. But if you rewatched them, like... <laughs> name and i well i definitely did I, i'm going to assume that you did mate then the quality of that tape definitely deteriorated yeah. over time. <laughs> yeah. there's no doubt so many tapes but i remember that game um is a really that's an odd game because the, the magic was so flat i mean the bulls won 86 67 67 points yeah even, even for that error that's low and um and you'll agree with this jordan had a, another another really poor game but having said that, he um, I didn't read anywhere that he was injured for that game, but he was not in it. He didn't seem to be really fully immersed in the game. He was, I mean, Piven had a great game and had 27 points and missed three or four shots the entire game. So he really stepped up. Kukoc, yes. I mean, Rodman did Rodman things, got rebounds and shot down, helped to shut down Shaq quite effectively. But I remember watching that game thinking, like, is, is Jordan sick? Is he, is he not focused? Because he, he just didn't seem to be in that game at all. Yeah, I think I haven't actually caught what in front of me, but I think he ended up with like 17 points in that game, which did, for yeah. obviously Mike is not what you expect. Remember, he got that one little move that gets played over and over oh, again, yeah. where he steals the ball from Penny as Penny's yeah. about to like come out of like the half court and then kind of does a ball fake against John Konkak who just <laughs> cannot work out what's going on he yeah. doesn't know whether to go for the ball whether to defend the hoop and then Mike just kind of stands on the free throw line and puts in a nice little jump shot yeah. but that was about the only thing of memory from that game because you're right he, he didn't seem to to really be that involved but then came game four then came game four and we come full circle and uh, you know he he comes out and hits his first eight shots, uh, easy shots. I mean, I say easy. I'm not saying that it was easy. He just makes it look easy. Uh, post-up game, fadeaways, mid-range, hits a couple of threes, uh, a couple of short 10-foot bank shots. He, he Clearly, that game gets clicked on, and he's like, right, let's put these guys away. This is my time to shine now. Um, this is my big game. And he clearly, you can see he must have wanted to make a statement that final game. He'd had like... You know, a couple of good games up to that point. Game game one was okay. Game two was strong, but he hadn't had a signature game that series, and he must have. Um, this is all assumption and speculation, but I reckon he must have thought to himself, "I need to have a statement game. Put these guys away. Let everyone know I'm back." Forty-five points later, I think he did that. Yeah, I. For me, probably my favourite game of the '96 playoffs. I think if I've got a award to them, um, I'd say my favourite game was game four against the Magic. Like you said, statement game, remembered what had happened the season before. This was the chance to kind of put his, his foot on the neck of them a little bit like he did with the Pistons back in 91. Yeah. And just came out dominant, hit the shots that he needed to, and, and that was it. Series over. Yeah. Um, I've also got down here that game one against the Knicks when he scored 44, um, it's either that or the 46 performance in, in game three but yeah. because they won game one I, I I tend to lean towards that a little bit more yeah. because the Bulls won um, as opposed to losing and then game the the, the, the other favourite from that run which obviously we're going to move on to now was uh, game three of the of the finals That's right. in, in 96 but before game three happened obviously there was a game one and a game two mm. so 
what were your thoughts about what were your thoughts about those NBA finals? I will go first just yep. by saying and you can discuss this with me. <laughs> Michael Jordan's worst NBA finals. Oh by far. Yeah, by far. And even saying that, you look at his numbers, twenty seven points a game, five rebounds, three, four, just under four assists, one point seven steals, forty one percent shooting, which today isn't that bad really. And those numbers, you 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 uh you relay those numbers on, say, Kyrie Irving or DeMar DeRozan or, Ka- or Kawhi, and that's an MVP. Easy. That's phenomenal. Yep. But that speaks to how the standard that Jordan had set <laughs> and it was expected of him, that that was a terrible series for him. And even at the time, even as a 14-year-old super fan, like I was, even I was like, oh man, yeah, he was he was not good that season, that, that series. I mean, every, most of my friends, we, we talked about it at the time, we were like, man, he wasn't Jordan. What happened? Was he ill? Was he injured? We all were aware that that was very, very below par for Jordan. Yeah, I think that the fact that they'd had such a good season mm. played into the fact that those feelings about that NBA Finals, you, you're right, 27 points isn't to be sniffed at. Yeah. We were just so used to, by that point, Michael Jordan getting 30 plus a game. Yeah. That to go into a six-game series, if you if you decide at the start of the, those finals, right, it'll go six games, and Mike will only get more than thirty in one of those games. <laughs> yeah. You'd have gone, no, yeah. no, <laughs> that that isn't going to happen. Yeah, and I think that coupled with the fact that overall he only shot forty-one percent from the field, which, like you said, nowadays not necessarily to be sniffed at. Yeah, but at that time we were so used to Mike shooting, I don't know, forty-nine, fifty percent from the field. Yeah, that. It was something that we kind of looked at and thought, right, what, what, what's going on here? I personally think that it was just a culmination of the the season. Um, he performed at such a, a phenomenal level mm. for the the whole of the regular season and the playoffs to that point that it was likely that there was going to be a, a bit of a come down. If you listen to, to Mike himself, he says it weighed on him during that final series yeah. that he was very aware that his dad um, wasn't with him anymore. Yeah. He, he passed away a couple of years before. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to put a take out there and you can agree or disagree with me. Okay. I don't think that Michael Jordan should have been the MVP of the finals that year. I agree, and I was going to say the same thing, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, just to anyone listening, we haven't discussed this prior, by the way. This is us, no. our honest takes. I completely agree. I would put Rodman as the MVP that year. That's me, That's me too. Yeah, I think that then... It, I remember watching all of the games live because Channel 4 was showing um, all of the, the games. So I was <laughs> in my GCSE year, <laughs> and bearing in mind this is early June when still some of the exams are happening yeah. I was pretty stupid in the fact that <laughs> I was such a big basketball fan that I was watching all of these games live and yeah. I remember as I sat there watching those games that Dennis Rodman appeared to be the difference yeah. in definitely the games that the Bulls won yeah. and even the ones that they lost He, the stat that really jumped out to me over the course of the season he averaged just under 15 rebounds Yeah, but of the 88 total rebounds he brought in that season, 41 of them were on the offensive end. That is staggering, isn't it? That's just... It's, it's next level. It's absolutely next level. Yeah. And so, therefore, and especially when you think, we're not talking about somebody who's like Shaq 
yeah. or Dwight Howard, you know, somebody who's like six foot eleven, seven foot, an absolute behemoth. Mm. This guy was like six foot six. He was mm. probably listed as maybe an inch or two short, smaller, um, taller than that, simply because they measured him with his shoes on. Yeah, he was six foot six. Yeah. He was about two hundred and. 40, probably not even that, 230 pounds. I think he was, think he was 220 listed that year, so 220. And yet, he was just absolutely dominating yes. the board. He was incredible. I've actually, I pulled up his numbers last night because I wanted to, to make the same point that you're making, actually. And like, game one, so his numbers for each game that series, rebound-wise, 13 rebounds in game one, three offensive, 20 in game two, 11 offensive, 10 in game three, three offensive, 14 in game four, eight offensive, 12 in game five, seven offensive, and 19 in game six, and another 11 offensive, which obviously that tied the record at the time uh, held by Elvin Hayes for offensive rebounds. So two games of 11 offensive rebounds in the final. Is that, yeah, I, I don't think that's been done since by anybody. No, I totally agree. And I remember watching games, game six and thinking Dennis Rodman is going to be MVP. Yeah. He, he, he was just I think if you could if you could break it down he was the single biggest factor for them winning game six he won game two with his free throws as well let's not forget that he hit those those clutch free throws or that the one clutch free throw which sealed that four point win with the 20 rebounds and he was a massive factor probably the biggest factor in game six I, I, I really so. thought he should have been MVP now they were never going to give Rodman a freaking MVP award because it's Dennis Rodman. But really, <laughs> on 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 balance, I have to say I've said this from for the last twenty five years. Rodman should have been the MVP. And yeah, you won't get any arguments from me. Yeah. No surprise at all that Michael Jordan was the MVP. Yeah. And after the season that they'd had, you could almost write it in stone. It didn't matter what he yeah. did; he was going to win it. Yeah. But. Yeah, I definitely think that Rodman had got a good enough case, especially after, like I said, game six, Rodman, 19 rebounds, 11 offensive rebounds. Jordan didn't have a great game at all. Uh, I say he didn't have a great game. Shooting-wise, yeah. it was it was not good. 22 points, I think he was 5 of 22 from the field. It's an atrocious field goal yeah. percentage. But he still got something like nine rebounds, eight yeah. assists. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a good game. Yeah, that's true. That's true, actually. But very, very but, briefly, he was actually, he was 6 for 19 for the field, just, uh, just saying. Oh, um, 6 for 19, yeah. right. He wasn't quite Kobe, but um, <laughs> rest in peace, Kobe. I love him. I'm so sorry to anyone who's bothered by that. But just very quickly, um, it speaks to uh, Jordan's greatness. And so his bad shooting games, he still always did other things. Always. He always had decent numbers across the board. He always played the, the defense that he's known for. So anytime he had Jordan with a poor game, five for 20, seven for 28, he'll have six rebounds, three steals, seven assists, and, and play great basketball, just not shoot well. And that's probably a, a good point to bear in mind that it's really easy to go back 25 years later and look at the stats that are down on the, on the paper. Yeah. But yeah, you can't, in stats, pick up on like the intangibles, the defense, the little things that are done on the basketball court to ensure that your team wins and we're both in agreement and I think pretty much any basketball fan that ever watched Michael Jordan play will know that he did all of those little things that would help his team win and they did win so they there they were they were back on top he won on Father's Day which was mm-hmm. um, kind of sweet and, and a bit poignant for him the, there's those footage uh, that footage of him in the locker room afterwards yeah absolutely in bits because 
he was probably so happy and relieved that he vindicated himself after the season before, but also painfully aware that this was the first championship he was celebrating without his dad. Yeah, Con- conflicting emotions must have been. Well, clearly they were overwhelming. You know, yeah, it would take some time probably to process all that and really um, come to terms with with what happened that year. Uh, everything was released finally. You, know, you imagine the focus it would have taken at age 32, 33 to 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 gain gain your crown back as the best player in the league on the best team and then it all has to come out and you finally achieve that you can let go and the release must have been just colossal uh, yeah absolutely immense but the talking about Dennis Rodman and his emergence probably as a superstar on that Bulls team because they became a, almost like rock stars on a travelling band yeah. brings us quite nicely to another break and then in Part three, we'll discuss super teams. Let's do it. Right, part three, to send our sweet listener on their way into the evening after they've finished listening to this podcast when we put it out. We're going to talk about super teams and whether we class the 96 balls and let's be honest the 97 and therefore 98 balls as a super team so pretty apt at the moment the NBA seems to be full of them this last season and this season they for the first time didn't seem to really have a super team and then all of a sudden James Harden gets traded to the New Jersey not oh there I'm showing my age the New Jersey Nets sorry the Brooklyn Nets (laughs) and now all of a sudden we have another super team in the NBA so I personally think that the Bulls were a super team however not in the same kind of mould or the way that current super teams have come about I think that they became a super team by the kind of the culture of the team and yeah. what was expected do you agree or disagree I, I see what you mean I I say they're not a super team um, although I'm basing my criteria on the way things are now and I'll preface that by saying that I know the league is very different now the NBA is not not at all like it was in the 90s so I get that there is a lot more player movement and players have a lot more freedom to go where they want so I know it's really hard to make a comparison between today's NBA and the Bulls era Um, I think that first off I should probably start by defining what I think a super team is Okay. My, my definition is quite simple maybe too simple but I think it's if you've got multiple franchise players on one team and what I mean by that is if you have multiple players that were the number one option and had teams built around them playing with another number one option that had a team built around him, you've got a super team. So, for example, the classic one, of course, is LeBron, Wade, you know, the, the Heels of uh, 2010, 2011 when they started. You have three players that were franchise stars. They had teams built around them. Bosch was the franchise star for the Raptors. Teams were built around him to try and be and Dwayne Wade was the Miami Heat franchise. So you had three franchise stars on one team. That's a super team. Okay. Um, so based on that, yeah, yeah. I, I can understand that, yeah, you wouldn't class the Bulls as a super team going on that criteria. Yeah. 
yeah, that's 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 my basic definition of it, um, which is pretty simple. But that's how I define super teams now and then. The see, I say that they are, but like I'm going, I'm going on a different criteria just to the fact that the way that the team super teams nowadays, because of player movement, they are almost concocted before they even happen you'll have yeah. players talking to each other yeah and um, people trying to plan two years in advance to try and go out and get a particular player and get as many superstars as they can on their team when i look back at that bulls team and i mentioned in part two that they were almost like rock stars and yeah. that was almost because they all had their own roles rodman as we'd mentioned before, had he was more notorious for his hair colour than his basketball um, ability and that he dated Madonna at one point in the mid-90s. Yeah. Yeah. And when he came to the Bulls and was immersed in their culture, and when I say their culture, I really mean the Michael Jordan culture because anybody yeah. that's watched The Last Dance knows full well that he, he kind of set the tone in everything that the Bulls did and because he was so singularly driven to win it was a simple case of you either fell into line and did what Mike needed you to do or you weren't going to last on the Bulls very long Yeah, and because of that culture that is why the Bulls to me became a super team because you got Mike leading the way with his 30 points a game and killer instinct doing all the little intangibles that you needed him to do then Scotty Pippin alongside him who was even more of a Swiss army knife if that's the right yeah. term to use in the fact that you knew that you could count on him for 20 a game and 7 or 8 rebounds and 6 assists and then Dennis Rodman as the third star on the team who was completely not interested in getting his own offense he would if need yeah, yeah. he would if he needed to he wasn't yeah. completely against it to the point where you know he wouldn't shoot but at the yeah. same time he didn't need to be racking up to double digits in scoring and things like that because he was so consumed by making sure that he did the dirty work that he made sure that he was grabbing 15 rebounds a game and the way that the rest of the players then fit in around them, when I always think back, I think, yes, super team, but not by the same standards as today's super teams are, are I, put together. Yeah. I see that. So for you, it's more like the, the results made them a super team. They were so good yeah. that they kind of built on top of that and then built on success and built on success and they became a super team. I understand that. Um, yeah, it's funny because I, I spoke to a few people the last few years mainly on instagram um quite like engaging with people uh, when i can and like they look at uh particularly regarding the 96 bulls not as much with the following two bulls teams but the 96 ones with their dominant season um you'll find a lot of people will say they were a super team like miami like boston with ray allen yeah, yeah. and Phil pearson and like like brooklyn would be now in theory they they want to class the bulls in that same category because they were so dominant and I, I say to them, yeah, they were dominant, of course. It's not because they were a super team, as I defined it a moment ago. It's mainly because, A, Jordan was such a dominant leader and was such a dominant player. But I think the two other biggest reasons why they dominated that season so well is the, the fact that their system of basketball was so 
uh, tightly controlled and so well executed and their defence was was astonishing I mean I went to the numbers last night to look at the uh, at the playoff numbers and in the playoffs they actually faced two of the three highest scoring teams in the league that year they were one of them the Bulls the other two were Orlando and Seattle and the Magic in the season average 104.5 points a game uh, against the Bulls they averaged 84.8 um, the Seattle Sonics also averaged 104.5 and against the Bulls they averaged 89.2 the amazing thing is, in that 96 playoff run, not a single team against the Bulls averaged even 90 points a game against them, which is unthinkable. I mean, yeah, the pace was obviously slower. It wasn't quite the, the run-and-gun, three-point heavy game they have today. No. Even for the 90s, to not average 90 points a game speaks to the defensive abilities. Completely, because for me, the 95-96 season still had fairly free-flowing offense and there were still quite a few games that were racking up into the high 90s and, and triple digits for for you know a singular team and then yeah. it seemed that from the 96 97 season going onwards the NBA entered that period of maybe best part of definitely like six seven years maybe best part of 10 years where you would quite commonly look at games and see like 79 76 as the final yeah. score but this season True. was before that that 95 96 season like you said you've got teams in there that were averaging over 100 points a game and then the yeah. stats that you've just pointed out there when you're holding that orlando magic team which was a phenomenal team and yeah okay the Horace Grant thing might have made a bit of a difference but 20 points 20 points below what they were averaging in the season Horace Grant yeah. didn't average yeah. 20 points that season so nah. it shows you <laughs> it's just incredible. it shows you the job that they just did on, on clamping down and making sure that right nothing's going to come easy you're not going to get yeah. any any easy looks at the basket if you score great mm -hmm. but everything's going to be contested and yeah. to to do what they did against that Magic team and that Seattle team I mean they won 64 games that season they were talented and they you could argue that they were more talented than the Bulls were at the time I'm talking raw talent you got Peyton and Kemp obviously Shrimp, Fuzzy Hawkins Nate McMillan they were you could make an argument that they might have had more raw talent and ability than the Bulls did and they were a lot younger and the Bulls, I mean, Clapton, they averaged yeah, 89 points a game against the Bulls. It's just in the game where they had, uh, what, 70, 70 odd points, I think, or something like that, or, or the, the low 80s in one of those games. It was just like the, the defense was unbelievable. And one point I want to make to anybody who does listen to this and and does think that those Bulls were a super team in the mold of the Miami Heat, and it was just a collection of stars thrown together, and they're so good. I know they always talk about um, uh, Pippin being. Uh, you know, a, a phenomenal. He obviously was a phenomenal player, top fifty all time, Hall of Famer, of course. They think that Pippen got to the Bulls, and the Bulls became great. And it wasn't Jordan; it was Pippen. Yeah. Jordan can't win without Pippen. I've seen that argument; it's a terrible argument. Um, overlooking the fact that Jordan made Pippen who he was, which has been said many times by Phil and Pippen himself. Uh, Jordan grew Pippen as a player. By '96, Pippen was no longer in his prime. And like you said before earlier, he had a, a number of pretty debilitating injuries. And after the All-Star break, he was never the same player he was really for the rest of his career as he'd been yep. up to that point. I would say Pippen's prime is probably 94 when Jordan was not playing, maybe 95. Uh, but by 96, he was already 
just beginning to, to degrade a little bit. And you look at Jordan and Pippen, the two clear stars. Then you have Rodman. Now, who do you have outside of that? You have Ron Harper, who was 32, playing with arthritis in his knee. They called him peg leg. Uh, Kukoc, who was... Uh, he could have been a potential unicorn, but he was very consistent, very streaky, and he was not made for the physical NBA at all. Uh, as, with all this talent, he was not necessarily a consistent, reliable player. Uh, you had Longley, decent center, but he's not an all-star, never. And then he had, outside of that, Steve Kerr, who who just shot threes. He was only, honestly, he was only good for shooting threes. And he shot four for 23 in the finals. Uh, yeah, well, who, who else do you have? Randy Brown, defensive specialist, Dickie Simpkins, Judd Bushler, Bill Wennington, Jason Caffey, John Sally. Now, I know a lot of listeners, well, if, if, if lots of people listen to this, most young players aren't going to know who I was about. They're not going to know who Judd Bushler, Dickie Simpkins, John Sally, uh, Bill Wennington, they don't know those guys. Well, not outside of the last dance anyway, mate. Exactly, yeah, not outside of the last dance, not outside of the recent public publicity they clearly weren't a stacked talent-wise team and like i said they just played their roles so well together and they were so disciplined overcame their age they were all in their 30s they were a very very old team even in 96 um they overcame the talent deficit with teams like orlando and seattle and they just played basketball so well together and the defense was so good they have the impression of being this super stacked, super talented super team, which in my definition, as I said before, they simply weren't. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with that. The The fact of the matter is, like you said, they were an older team, yeah. so possibly a little bit more disciplined. I don't think any notable name on that team had been drafted in the 90s. <laughs> Yeah. I think, you know, given that we're talking, you know, into the late 90s, every single notable player on that team that was getting decent minutes had been drafted no later than 1990 and, and possibly even before that. Yeah. They, it goes back to my original point. I, I, I look at them, I look back now and can't see anything other than a super team, but know that that's built on the, on the culture, the... The, the way that they moulded as a team together and the fact that just everybody knew their role, knew what needed to be done, when it needed to be done and yeah. invariably got it done that meant yeah. that that team was so successful and guided by the greatest coach of, of any, well, any era. I mean, some people might make, might make the argument that Red Auerbach... Uh, with those Boston teams yeah, back in yeah. back in the days when there was I don't know eight teams in the NBA, yeah. <laughs> and nowadays you, you're looking at people like Greg Popovich, who is, is a magnificent coach. I'm not taking anything away from them, but as far as I'm concerned, you, you're still going to have to go past Phil Jackson, in my opinion, for yeah. the greatest coach in NBA history, mm-hmm. just because of the fact that he was able to those teams together even at the top you've got egos I mean Michael Jordan and and his maniacal will to win but then you've got all the other egos be around them that he managed to to mould together and, and get the best results and that's before you even start talking about the, the Lakers of the late 90s and early 2000s yeah. and the way that he, he managed and, and coached those teams so Absolutely. they as I say to me 
yes, a super team, but not by the conventional kind of way that we, we, we look at super teams now. Just um, And just before we go, because this is a good segue into it, how do you think the thing in Brooklyn uh, with, <laughs> with KD, Kyrie yeah. Irving and now James Harden, how do you see that working out? I will happily go on record and anybody can call me out and you, Phil, can call me out if I'm... I'm sitting back and I'm going to wait for the biggest train wreck we've seen in years to play out and I can't wait. It's I think it's going to be an absolute disaster for <laughs> quite a few reasons. I think James Harden cannot play with another superstar. Uh, he's Because he needs the ball in his hands all the time, he's ball dominant. Um, KD... He, let's, I mean, think about it. He was playing the Cavaliers. He was number two there. And have his own team. So he ran away and, well, I should say, joined Boston to be the man. Didn't like it. Now he's in Brooklyn. He was the man. And now he's the third option. I don't think that's going to play out well. Either. I just think this is going to be just the. the <laughs> I think it's going to be an absolute disaster. I'll happily be called out if I'm wrong, but I think I can't. I'm going on record to say it's going to be a joke. I can't wait to see it fail. <laughs> Name, can we just circle back? What did you say about KD again? I think I think the audio just oh, dropped out a little bit. What did you um, say about I was just KD? Saying, in comparison to Harden and Kyrie, KD I think has proved he can play with a superstar and he can play off the ball. He doesn't necessarily need to be ball dominant, but I think Harden and Kyrie have shown they need the ball in their hands. They have high usage rates, and they need it to be done their way, or they. Uh, disgruntled quite frankly I don't think Harden will succeed at all I think Kyrie well he's AWOL he's gone missing again he's unfocused uh, I just think it's going to be an absolute train wreck and this might not surprise people if they've listened to other versions of the the Weekside podcast I'm going to agree with you (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm I'm, I wasn't a James Harden fan before. I wasn't a fan of his style of basketball. Yeah. The fact that the, the Rockets would give the ball to him and he dribbled the ball for 20 yeah. seconds before jacking up yeah. a shot. Even though, to not take anything away from him, he was immensely successful at yeah. doing that. But trying to put that game without major sacrifice from probably all three yeah. of them, but at least one of them, I just can't see how it's going yeah. to work. I'm, and the other reason I'm, I'm just so down on Harden at the moment is just the, the way that he checked out on the Rockets. It, it, it was absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. It's really concerning uh, now. I know that I've listened to other podcasters, um, Bill Simmons and the No Dunks podcast and things like that. And just the fact that we are in a player power yeah. era when players can, even though they've got two, three years left on the contract, as is the case with James Harden, are able to force their way out of their current situation and onto a new team. But to watch the way that he treated the Houston Rockets and disrespected the teammates that he had on that team this season just means that I'm I'm kind of rooting for him to fail because, which is a shame because Kyrie, you've mentioned himself, where's his head at not entirely sure if Kyrie is having any kind of like mental health issues I hope that he gets whatever help he needs to be the mercurial kind of basketball talent that he is Um, but Kevin Durant this season had 
exceeded my expectations for what he was going to look back, look like coming back from that Achilles injury. He doesn't look any different. No. He's averaging 29 a game. There's no way that if you said to anyone, look at his performance this season and compare it to what he was doing in Golden State and Oklahoma, that you'd say that there was any difference. Yeah. And I like... Kevin Durant as a basketball player I enjoy watching him and so I wanted to see him succeed so now that I've got that kind of um, which way do you go because I want to see KD succeed because I want him to come back from this quite devastating injury and yet now he's been paired with a player that whilst he's a phenomenal basketball talent I just don't want to watch and I don't want to succeed at this moment yeah. in time simply because of the way that he's treated his old yeah, team. Yeah, I'd agree completely. And the Rockets did everything they could for him for eight years. They, they coddled him, they gave him everything he wanted and now he just fails in bed. Yeah, and now he's, he's, you know, he's put his nice Twitter or Instagram post out saying that he's indebted, repeatedly indebted to the city of Houston and saying all the right things. But yet I can't read it and not think but mate you, you really did shit yeah. on him on your way out of the city he listened, he listened to his PR guy then with that tweet yeah yeah it's it's, it's awful but yeah we'll just have to see how the latest super yeah. team um, gets on with the with the upcoming season so just before we go mate send everyone uh, remind everyone what is your Instagram handle uh, you can find me at uh, baseline underscore Jordan and I can tell everyone that you've got a, another lovely post out recently that's basically going through what we've discussed on this yeah, podcast actually. and setting it up quite nicely for your next little My next one, yeah. Um, yeah, if you see, I've done a couple of videos. Uh, I, I really like doing them. They're massively time-consuming, so I don't do very many, but I try to make them really fun to watch and I try to tell a story with the video. So if you go on my page... Uh, feel free to follow if you like uh, check the videos out and um, hit up Phil's too on the weak side underscore MJ because he's one of the best Jordan pages that I've seen on Instagram um, by far one of the best so follow him too okay cheers mate I will wire you that money uh, <laughs> after the podcast ends okay and for everyone listening or at least that one person listening uh, this has been the weak side podcast that's been Naeem say bye See mate you guys thanks for having me and hopefully you'll join us for future ones. Okay, see you all, everyone. Bye.